0: Hi, and welcome to the IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. From a pop culture perspective, summer is often dominated by big blockbuster movies and fun TV shows. But this summer, something happened that I'd never really quite seen before. Millions and millions of Americans stopped what they were doing and made time for a 7-hour and 45-minute documentary. And what's really remarkable about the success of Ezra Edelman's O.J. Made in America is it never lured in viewers promising some bombshell new evidence in the murder trial, uh, That's fascinated Americans for the last 20 years. Instead, Edelman uses O.J. Simpson's life as a jumping-off point to take a really deep look at race in America. And the film was so well-received that now, it's actually a pretty strong contender for Best Documentary nomination at the Academy Awards. This past week, uh, Ezra and I were down at the Savannah Film Festival where uh, O.J. is now screening uh, in completion Full eight-hour screening split up into three parts. As the film is really now being treated like a film rather than a five, one-and-a-half-hour episodes. Uh, life is a little slower down Savannah, so uh, Ezra and I had some time, sat down and talked for a good hour um, about the making of his film. And one thing that really fascinated me because I, I never even really thought about this, but how do you, how do you make an eight-hour documentary? How where do you begin? How do you start? And so we talked a lot about his approach to making the film and kind of his reflections on O.J. and and the success of it. IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast is brought to you by our friends at AFI Fest, presented by Audi. The film festival takes place in the heart of Hollywood, November 10th through the 17th. This year's lineup features over 120 films, including the world premiere of Warren Beatty's Rules Don't Apply, director Oshkar Faradi's The Salesman, and La La Land, starring Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Free tickets to all screenings, galas, tributes, and more available at afi.com slash afifest starting November 1st. So we did um, a panel a month ago, and you had said something along the lines of um, making this film for people that didn't quite understand why when the verdict came out, people were, people were cheering. I've been thinking about that quite a bit, and thinking about the fact that really what we're talking about is putting a new lens on this for, in some cases, largely white people, so they could possibly see and have an insight into this, changing their lens on this story. Mm-hmm. It, was that kind of a guiding factor and force in terms of also first you choosing to do this project, but then also how you approached it and structured it?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. and mm-hmm. I, I would say a guiding force mm-hmm. versus the guiding force. But I do think that... Um, you know, if you were approached with the idea of doing a film about O.J., my guess is like a lot of people, your first instinct would be well, what's the point in doing that? You know, Man, there's been so much mm-hmm. chatter about it, conversation, li- like literal books written about this mm-hmm. amongst however many, doc- you know, among any other, many documentaries that have been made. And so there's no point in sort of engaging with the process that's as, as like a uh, immersive as making a film is if you don't feel like you can offer something that is new or different not to mention like what you actually want to spend your time with and so i think that with this you know i understood very you know from from the get go that this was already a story that on a, on a on a macro level is going to be about race if not primarily certainly you know on a, on a large part but so And that there was this divisiveness that sort of resulted as a result of the, the the murder and the trial. And so for me, what I think I gleaned pretty quickly was that those viewpoints were still in some ways kind of entrenched. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and what I can't sort of go back in time and place is where it was some conversations with people who sort of maybe said... I still sort of piss me off or I don't get what like people were celebrating a murder you know getting off or mm-hmm. what have you and I don't know where it was in that point in time you know where I said well oh, well clearly people still don't get this mm-hmm. and in a way that of course coming from the other side like I always it's like just within me of like of course this is like makes perfect sense so why don't you get this yeah and so I think in trying to sort of give myself um, that necessary um, motivation and kickstart as far as offering something of value to the world, that was one of the operating principles of if I, feel, if I can sort of um, take this event that we all absorbed so fervently during this year and a half period and offer a new perspective and or sort of change the lens through which we look at it, then I feel like we will have done something that is worthwhile. How to do that, you know, and this is, you know, was, well, I feel like you need to sort of really, you know, understand how we got there. Mm -hmm. And so that's where sort of the overarching conceit of it came from. It wasn't like, let's go deeper into that year and a half period. We're not gonna learn something new. We're not gonna, no, it's like, and by the way, who, I mean, I don't mean this in a sort of overly, you know, humble way, but like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to find something out that mm-hmm. hundreds, if not thousands, of people have tried to find every last detail, every sort of proverbial smoking gun, right. if literal and and bloody knife, and like what it, this is what people have spent you know all their time doing, both then and in the past twenty years, and I'm I don't care, like I'm bored by that yeah. conversation, and I sort of intuitively understand that that, that that's not going to get advanced, right. so. But it actually helps that there's that practical point of it, which is I'm not solving the crime. And the practical happens to jive with what I'm interested in or what I'm not interested in, which is I'm not interested in that anyway.
0: It's funny because I was thinking about this, like this type of project, I genuinely don't know how this is made. I mean, I know you do interviews, you edit, but in terms of process, um, and, and I'm thinking that is the starting point you and going back and just recollecting the history, doing the research, and through that that yeah. viewpoint, is that what is it? Is it start? Is that was like it, the starting is, point? it is a
1: very initially solitary exercise. Mm-hmm. I think to your point about um, even the decision to do it in the first place. You know, I was approached to do this. Mm-hmm. I was hesitant to take it on. What um, spurred me to take it on was. Um, existing knowledge of the subject in terms of OJ as far as what I understood him to um, who he became symbolically mm-hmm. as a black man on trial I understood who he once was as a younger man where he grew up what, when he went to USC what that place was in 1967 mm-hmm. where it was geographically located next to Watts
0: Can I stop you there? Would you say you know that, is that simply just because you know that history or where did you
1: grow up? Did you? I grew up in DC. You grew
0: up in DC, so you more just know. I knew that history. You knew that history. And so now,
1: it's almost like I know that history enough to go, I believe that there is a story here about OJ, um, his racial identity, his sort of profile as, you know, as a guy infiltrating the world, as that's a weird word to use, Mm -hmm. um, sort of, you know, know, rising to become the sports star and celebrity that he became and what that sort of meant as a black man mm-hmm. making those decisions um, versus the sort of very substantial political times in which he um, came to be famous. And already, with the, I did have a little bit of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, you know what? I know that this story on a macro level has to do with race. It has to do with celebrity and fame. It has to do with the criminal justice system. And a lot of that sort of, the symbolism in terms of, of people investing into this trial and to him on trial has to do with the LAPD, has to do with this sort of culture and history of police brutality and violence and disempowerment that sort of existed in this city and in this country. And I understood the irony and the juxtaposition between who OJ um, became mm-hmm. and how frankly distant um, and divergent of path that he took versus all of these people and what what they had gone through consistently. So there's things that sort of I'm like, okay, now it's more like it's a puzzle.
0: Do you have to go back and re-familiarize yourself? Oh yeah, it? no. You, so you, essentially, to,
1: to and I'm I just I sort of you know went off in this tangent, but the fact is, no, 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 it does, so then I have enough of these like kernels mm-hmm. that I go, okay, this it's like I know there's there's this. And I'm like using my left hand to point up all the way over here. And then there's a trial all the way on the right on some continuum, mm-hmm. you know, 25 to 30 years later. And I'm trying to go, well, these things have to do with one another. Mm-hmm. I spent three, four months on my own just reading, mm-hmm. reading books about, I'm um, sure about a few books about the trial. And, and by the way, you have to be very, you know, wary because there's 50 books about the trial. And so you have to sort of. And a-
0: Whole breed of amateur sleuth has grown. I mean, Correct. people they i mean, this was something. I remember my parents when I was in college watching this. All you know, like people think they know so much about this already. So it's like
1: you would know. You have to call through these sources that you deem through whatever means that you deem them to be more legitimate or more mm-hmm. objective. Mm-hmm. So there are books about the trial. Um, I know in terms of the I'm interested in telling a story about this city, about Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I read books about I read books about LA. I read books about. Um, you know, the LAPD, there's a sort of big tome called Official Negligence which Lou Cannon wrote, he's a former Washington Post writer, that sort of takes you through a lot of these events and sort of this, and so you, I, you know, and then, you know, strangely the, the, the literature that um, is lacking, um, there's really not much about O.J. himself, right. like biographically, so there's not going to be some like, you know, easy deep dive into some tome to really sort of, who's talked to everyone, you know, in his family, like that doesn't exist. I mean, literally, when you think when you try to find you know research about OJ, there's this sort of self-serving autobiography he wrote um, called the uh, Autobiography of a Rich Rookie that he wrote after his rookie year in the NFL with Pete Axthelm, who was a former Newsweek um, reporter. That was just like again, even the fact that he wrote an autobiography after one year in the NFL that was published. It's like that sort of spoke to the the branding genius right. and pioneering aspect of who he was at that point in time. But you know. The, the things that I think helped me with this tell story as far as me doing was that I think I had a little I had enough knowledge of OJ's rise already mm-hmm. and so I understood that he was a cultural force um, and certainly a unique racial pioneer in the ch- with the choices that he made that I knew were very important to convey and explore which I think that some people may have just left by the wayside mm-hmm. because I don't know that you would just if you're going into the story, even tackling, even trying to do it contextually with the trial, I don't know that your, your instinct would be to, like, let's explore OJ's rise in that way. Whereas my background is someone who um, has done a lot of films about race and sports and is something that, you know, I, I kind of already knew where he operated and existed in this landscape. And that juxtaposition between him and the sort of politi- those political athletes that he happened to sort of rise on the backs of right. sort of always was always something that fascinated I me. I think that's
0: something that is so hard for people even even our age and younger to relate to is, is that the, the LeBrons, the Tiger Woods, the, the, the mega athletes of today, those guys in the late sixties, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, I'm sure I'm leaving someone off, Kareem. Yeah they Arthur were Ash. Arthur yeah. Ashe they were incredibly political they were they took very strong stands they were you know they I, I, the easy parallel would be someone like a Kaepernick yeah, today yeah, right. but but we're just I mean and and that landscape and also of course the Olympic athletes yeah. um uh and, and all they did and that was 68 no, sure and said. so like that that right I think that's what you're kind of talking about OJ kind of rise compared to these icons basically civil rights icons that were actually mega, mega superstars, like for him, that that kind of is...
1: Well, and there's, and like, and and that's also, there's a, there's so much humanity in that time and in that decision um, that sort of O.J. made. Essentially O.J., he goes to USC in 1967. It's this extremely volatile time politically. He's at a lily-white conservative, apolitical university. There has been Ali, who a year before had um, you know, sort of refused induction into the, the, to go to Vietnam, um, and then was stripped of his title. You have Bill Russell, you have Arthur Ashe. And by the
0: the way, the honor, the way he's treated now, exalted. No, right, right. It's like, he was villain number one. But
1: by the way, that's all part of, I think, the sort of greater conversation of like, that doesn't even need to be put in the film. And again, Kaepernick aside, in terms of where we've come back to this space. And so the notion that, in, as part of this, that a guy starts a movement then of black athletes with a notion of, of boycotting the Olympics and approaches O.J. as the most famous college athlete in America and a track star that says, like, this is what's happening. Like, look at everyone who's sort of a part of this, and I'm, I want you to be a part of that. And and O.J. says, you know, famously, uh, I'm not black, I'm O.J. And, but in that moment, it's like it, there's so much to sort of parse and think about which is he's a 21 year old kid with his own ambitions who has the looks the talent the ambition to maybe in his brain by the way and by the way he's very he's in a cocoon and and everyone is kissing his ass and he's like wait i have an opportunity to go this other way Maybe I'm not naturally political. I'm being, it's funny how I'm being weirdly defensive of OJ, but like, you know, which you're like, I don't know Well, why. I mean, the
0: thing is, is like, I can't, first of all, I can't imagine being 21 and being in the situation he was correct. in. But then I also can't imagine being, making those huge decisions that kind of set up, I mean, that's what's weird know. about athletes, is you make decisions that really set a path in your life that I think most of us make in like our 30s. That's,
1: no, that's correct. And the fact that he had the, you know, there's a, there's a there's a question, by the way, about how much he was acculturated by this place and how much they used him versus how much he used the place and how much he realized like, oh, look what I can do based on what's here in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I can use this as a launching pad to go off and do these things. Or it was like, oh my God, kid, we can put you in movies. We can put you in commercials. Right. And he's like, really, I can do that? But either way, that he's faced with a choice, like this line in the sand at that point, And he has to understand and have the wherewithal to say like, yeah, but if I do that, the world's gonna shit on me. Right. And I don't get to do this other thing, which I wanna do. I wanna, what's wrong with being in commercials? What's wrong with being in movies? What's wrong? If I speak out, if I'm part of this, I don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. And so you reference Tiger Woods, you reference LeBron, you're and I don't, you know. And I those like are the two that no, came No, right no, no, right but right right Michael right right Jordan, right. Tiger Woods, right, you know. OJ created that paradigm. Yeah. Like he, so he, this, right, that, that moment in 1967, 68. Was a demarcation point where the principal black, the principal black athlete ceased to be in many ways the political principal black athlete, and this new sort of brand. fame brand yeah branded you know fame driven wealth driven um, superficially sort of drawn black athlete emerged, yeah. and OJ was that was the pioneer, and so. Now, what part of this story, like when you think of, wait, this is a story about a guy who may or may not have murdered his wife and her friend. This is a story about this divisiveness that set in over this trial. What the fuck does this have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. And well then you dig a little deeper and the culmination of OJ saying no to the movement was as you referenced, Tommy Smith and John Carlos on the metal stand raising their fists in October of 1968, where OJ's in the middle of enjoying the great season of his life. In 1968, winning the Heisman Trophy, and like, again in this insulated bubble. And he is literally, you know, from Mexico City to Los Angeles, actually it's not that far away. Metaphorically, they're on different planets at that moment in time. Like I think literally three days before OJ had rushed for 200 yards in a game, and then these guys are on a metal stand and like having their livelihoods stripped from them because they took this, this stand. But what's crazy about it is, okay, why don't you fast, fast forward 27 years. How is it that the guy that made the choice to go the other way, mm-hmm. who ultimately ended up enjoying the money and the fame and the celebrity that he so sought after and craved and ended up living where he lived in Brentwood amongst sort of wealthy white people. Yes, married to a white wife. Yes, and playing at Tony country clubs every day. How is it that on October 3rd, 1995, after he is acquitted by a jury that is seventy five percent black um, ninety yeah that's right seventy five percent black, the one black man on the jury walks out and raises his fist, just like Tommy Smith and john carlos and in some ways you're like, how did the how did we get from there to there, mm-hmm. and how did this guy become the beneficiary of that and that to me that's that's the film right. like and so I want to sort of unpack all of that so 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 what you just described
0: is 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 a great outline for a long narrative, mm-hmm. and and so you're doing that that research. You're finding these moments that you really are realizing where I want to I want to spend some time here. I want to spend some time on the LAPD. I want to spend some time on the the athletes in the late '60s. Um, bef- at this point what does that look like what do you go back to espn with is it is 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 essentially like having a conversation like this like a almost like you're a screenwriter pitching Mm -hmm. what your story is and then you go hire the team that's gonna you're gonna set up interviews and go deliver it is that is that kind of what
1: I mean, yeah, that works. yes and no, I think that there is, you know, again, there's a lot of backwardness in this process. There's a backwardness in that the idea for this came from ESPN and not from me. Okay. Um, they approached me about doing this. They approached me about doing it because I, I guess they like my work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they understand, you know, sort of um how I approach things. And they
0: were looking to get into long form, right?
1: And they were looking to get into long form, but like if you ask Connor Shell, who's the one who commissioned the film and who started the thirty for thirty series, he would sort of say, like, this was my idea. I didn't exactly have another he didn't have a number two mm-hmm. person who's like, This is like seems like this thing goes with it's like peanut butter and chocolate. This thing goes with this thing. If you don't want to do it, I don't
0: I want an Ezra Edelman take on, the,
1: on, on this, this thing. And whether it. it's, again, as I said, I've done a lot of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, in all the documentaries I've done, in generally, it's like, I make film, I have made historical-based films rooted in the world of sports, often, on, everyone has to do with race. You
0: had the, the Kurt Flood one, right? Which is... Which is
1: almost, like, literally within that time frame right. we're talking about. And he's the
0: first guy who was, like, he was for free
1: agency, right? Like crazy sued, of, he got traded to the Phillies in 1969 and sued um, Major League Baseball in a, in a case that went on, in an antitrust case that went all the way Supreme Court.
0: And now the reason that athletes can... Yes can go in and yeah. they're not owned. Yes. they're literally not owned yes. by teams anymore. And then Bird and Magic, right? Bird and right? Magic. Okay. And what Bru- Brooklyn Goes to oh, Flatbush, which is about, about
1: sort it. of like, again, you're talking about a team that integrated baseball in the right. late 40s and ultimately left, you know. So that, you know, again, to the politics of sports, that's like how a baseball team sort of leaves a city and right. why it leaves a city through city government and that fight. like, so essentially I've existed in stories I've told, you know, race, politics, sports, mm-hmm. not so much what's going on in the field but sort of all of these things. And that's always been my purview. And so in that way, you know, so that's why I'm going to gravitate towards these things we've been talking about as far as O.J. But I'm also someone who, frankly, has been, you know, really dying to sort of, you know, go the other way. Right. And there's a finite amount of stories in that realm to tell.
0: Uh, actually, hold on. Maybe now I shouldn't say, okay, what do you mean by go the other way? What do you? Well,
1: maybe like I, I'm, I was I've maybe sort of gravitated towards, wanting to do stories that are less about sports.
0: Got it. And okay. so this is yeah. sort of
1: for me in terms of ultimately, you know, going back to why I would have done this in the first place, which is like, this isn't a sports story. Right. I understand actually how sports plays into this story in terms of the creation of a cultural icon. So that's something that is easy for me to put into this story, but is not the reason why this story exists.
0: And I think that, I think one of the things that I this, your, your film and I'm starting to really think about it as a film you know we're, so. we're at the Savannah Film Festival right now I think you're in the midst of probably what hour three of of, yeah, uh, yeah, of, right. of, of it screening I mean I, I like everybody else I, I I watched it in episodes on on ESPN uh, but when I think about this it's it it becomes and I start thinking about the form it's like you've got the OJ thing and you've got the OJ story and kind of the the big, the big hits that everybody knows about. But there's something about this where you really can treat this like a novelist or a nonfiction writer, and you can, from that little core, go in so many different directions. In fact, you could even go... I, some of the stuff that you got, I could even see you doing whole different pieces, yeah. and, and you could even go further, I mean, trust me, you, you, and, I, know, you did, yeah. and it's just, there's something very freeing about this, as you start thinking about that form, and like, this could really open things up, of like, of like a doc filmmaker becoming um, a different type of storyteller, or, or, or adopting a new element into this, and I think the other thing that's interesting is that, um, in a way, that archival stuff that we're used to seeing that B roll, that's just the context. Oh, Watts in the background. Mm-hmm. Cue Jimmy, yeah. cue the Jimi Hendrix yeah. riff. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, we get it. It's sixties. It's yeah. turmoil. You're, that's that stuff becomes, especially from the lens that you are putting on this case. That stuff becomes the heart.
1: That's the that that's is the, that is the that emotion. Is the that well, that's about you. That's the main word, which is, I think, when you we are so um, trained, if not brainwashed as viewers when we watch a lot of these things because of the structure with which we have to stuff stories oftentimes, that you have some sort of story that exists on this this primary plane and to offer the context, you have that. You have the Jimi Hendrix riff over police violence and you're like, this is what it was. Mm-hmm. And then you have this sort of one shot if it's OJ, one shot of him running down the field. And you're like, that does not advance your understanding of the story. For me, especially getting back to like trying to elucidate something, if trying to clarify and change people's perspective, then someone, and this is why it's like, this is why the medium is necessary and it's not, it's, you have to emotionally absorb it. And you can't emotionally absorb it through, you know, 10 seconds of type on a screen, 30 seconds of a like this, that, you know, sort of a montage and saying, by the way, this is where it was. No, live through it, see the images, listen to people who live through these things, understand truly the juxtapositions that were at play at the time so you you get it in a in a different way and you and you you feel it you take it in Mm -hmm. and it goes like sort of in like your stomach and up through like and like ultimately comes out of your brain and not just goes oh okay because that's the point if you can't experience these these episodes in this history emotionally then then i feel like then i I, then then there would have been no point right and so and i think the hard thing is it is freeing when you realize that, like, okay, I have give, been given this canvas. And so that's great. And that's frankly why I wanted to do it. Like you give, you're giving me this large canvas to tell one story. Great, that's the challenge. That's why I am taking this on. But it's also this like great burden. Right. It isn't like, okay, I've been doing this and I'm gonna arrive at this place where I'm sure that I have this material. And then I go, okay, so this is pretty good, right? It's more like, Oh shit! I gotta like, I gotta actually make this rich and compelling over this amount of time. And the fact that it grew to what it did meant like, you know, I was so burdened by that responsibility that I, you know, I went. <laughs> but you have to have the material. Yeah. And so you know, and that's there's a the little bit of the discipline goes is comes into where can you further break off into those tangents, like getting even the notion of OJ being that pioneer, Like He created. Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods, right? So based on everything that we're talking about, there's easily a thing in my head that could have been like, well, when, I'm, when I get to this part of the story, that is the 80s and 90s and O.J. is where he is in L.A. and could, you could like, have the Michael Jordan I could, Right, I could go off into this little place, or is it, or am I even showing an image on a screen of like Michael Jordan and Spike Lee in a, in a Nike commercial right. as some sort of commentary? And so you're constantly, frankly, because there's no rule, you're like, then you're, I'm like, I'm, so you have to sort of be like, where is this a good idea mm-hmm. versus where does this, this actually take us away from the narrative that I am telling?
0: So the one thing, one thing that in watching your film, and then it, it really struck me the other day that I realized in, in watching Ava DuVarnay's The 13th, that I, I need to rethink about that role of the archivist. It's not someone that is simply going into the archive and pulling a bunch of things for you, like a, like a librarian. This really strikes me as a real collaboration because you need something from that footage. And my guess is that you're expressing a, a vision so similar to the conversation we're having right now. And so the, they, like any other collaborator, or a cinematographer, an editor, has to like kind of go in and through their interpretation of your vision kind of come through. So can you talk a little bit about that that collaboration? Sure,
1: and like so, I mean, again, nothing like this gets done without like incredibly Talented people. And Mm so there was that, you know, immediately, like when you get to the point of finding the people to work on, it's like, yeah, I better have a really great archivist. The fact is, Caroline Waterlow, who um, is the producer of the film, um, who I'd worked with before, and she's the first person I hired, she has a background as an archival researcher. Even though that wasn't going to be her primary role, she already sort of exists in this landscape. And she found this woman, Nina Kristic, who is, she's a maven. And so to answer your question, you sort of end up sort of, it's, it is akin to a role. Like we're talking about a different curatorial exercise from making a feature film where you'd be collaborating with cinematographer. And yes, I'm a cinematographer in terms mm-hmm. of what I'm shooting and how I'm shooting it. But you're going, okay. I write out a, um, a very, very long, I'll just call it document. Mm-hmm. That's like a working thing. that we're, It's the same thing, it's an outline that turns into something more where someone could read this and get a sense you know, with some sort of mortar along with the bricks of what I'm trying to do. And so you sort of sit down, everyone you hire and you read, they read this thing and we talk through it. And you start to go with the, here. there are specific episodes, there are specific things and moments in time that I, we have to find footage. We have to find footage of, in a very simple fashion, of the UCLA-USC game in 1967. Mm-hmm. That is the game that made OJ famous. Like I'm smart enough, I understand. Like that's a game that was on, you know, television, and so like I'm not worried about that. That's just like matter of factly. Now, how to get it, and like in what form? The fact that it was like, you know, this some beautiful film footage from the USC library, along with the ABC televised version. There's a lot of like you don't know exactly what you need, you can get, and so there's a level to which she's going to get whatever exists, potentially from as many sources as there are to get it from. But there's also this notion of we're telling this deep story about the LAPD. And we're telling a story about the LAPD's relationship with the black community. And we're telling a story about police brutality and these series of incidents, some of which have resulted in death, riots, mule love, what have you. And so there's a general ask, like, yes, do, do we have to find footage about these things, which are clarified, by the way, through the course of doing more research. You know, it's me talking to people and understanding what are these galvanizing moments that dotted this landscape that sort of made this much deeper than what people think, which was, oh, Rodney King got beaten in 1991. There were some riots, and then O.J. happened two years later. And that explains it. No, this is, and so, yes, there's the specific incidents, but there's also you Nina. Know, this is what we're doing. You, we have to figure out, find all the footage that exists right. of the of police brutality in this city. We have to actually find all the footage that exists of the LAPD in the 50s and 60s to sort of, and there's this constant thing of. Find everything that exists, certainly with OJ. Find every piece of footage that you possibly find about this guy in all of these different places. Uh-huh. And then some of it informs then what you can do on the other end. You see a piece of footage, that's something you could potentially go ask somebody about. Or that's something, oh, that, oh, that's actually a scene that we can pursue and do because this exists. And sometimes it's, oh, but we just did an interview and this person talked about this thing. Can we find footage that goes with this? Mm-hmm. Because without it, you know, we are making a film and it's not a book. I don't know that that scene can play without said footage. So you're, there's there it, it sort of works on this, you know, on both ends. And she, but Nina was like, on her own, independently, engaged with the narrative, what was happening constantly, and would send me things that were again not on the nose based on what we talked about. But we're like, this is going to, I believe this will work for what you are trying to encapsulate. Will this work? Mm -hmm. And then that's sort of that. So we sort of have our own distinct relationship, me and her, from everyone else who I'm working with. And it's like sort of on that level. Can you, have you been able to find any, are you going to find, no, I don't know. Oh, how about that? You know, and that's how we, and like weirdly, i probably talked to, literally talked to Nina less than almost anyone I mean, we emailed all the time. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Tamara, our other producer, who was for, um, responsible for outreach to a lot of characters and finding people and calling people, and she would go on a lot of shoots with me because of her, you know, like we talked all the time. Right. And then Nina and I just had this sort of like, we existed in this other space. No no less important. right? And she was, but like, at, for something, especially this undertaking, if you don't have someone as seasoned and as knowledgeable in this fact va- and knowing how to find things and dig, and and by the way, and not be satisfied, not be, and not just go, oh, well you told me to get this, and I I didn't get it, or I'm sorry it doesn't exist. Yeah, no. Like, so that's, but that's like a sort of one of those things that ends up, that's about life, right? In terms of who you want to work with. You want people who are independently proactive in terms of not just, I said what you, like, no, we, and so that was where I was very um, fortunate to be working with people and to have hired people who, like, all on their own were uniquely invested in this thing.
0: And you know, even just take something small, because we could apply this to any part of the film, but even something like the, um, the riots that happened after Rodney, Rodney King, um, so much of the footage that we're used to seeing in that is kind of the outside, the, the kind of white news media looking in. Do you know, okay, here's, oh, the kicking. Oh, and then there's riots and stuff. And to be able to get footage, which is, for lack of a better, from the inside, yeah. do you know what I'm saying, yeah. and from a, from a personal standpoint, and 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 that part is just so key because I mean she could easily go through the check mark box of like images of this and this and that but it, it's filmmaking it's from a perspective it's being able to get that kind of human level and the 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 other thing by the way is she doing this while so you got that outline you start hiring people is she doing this while um, you're off doing interviews like you're doing oh yeah no there's
1: there's a, there was a lot of concurrence going concurrence,
0: on. Yeah, okay. so but then the other thing is is that you know. I grew up a sports fan, but to me, OJ was highlight reels from the past, and um, well, he, I can't—he was a broadcaster, yeah, and yeah. and you know, in the comedy movies and stuff. So I certainly was aware of the zeitgeist of him, but to the footage of him playing football, which we've all seen, but to see just how. He wasn't just great, but there was something about him. There was just this power and this grace, which was so key to seeing and spending time with sports fan or non sports fan, because it's so integral to this idea that America could see him as other. Do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't just, he was just a great athlete. There was something OJ about him, and that's something that could be explained. But to actually see some of those iconic runs and to see some of those iconic plays, it's so, that part is so baked in to, uh, to, to understanding.
1: I, I think it's, uh, it's both being able to understand his uniqueness, mm-hmm. but I think it's also to, again, re-engage with the seduction. Yeah. Because he's not just this like, matter-of-factly great athlete. There is so much beauty, yeah. even in playing one of the most brutal sports, that he carried with him every time he had the ball it's like, it is the grace, it is the speed, it is the balletic moves that he is able to sort of pull off, that experiencing that in a new way and being re- and like be reintroduced to him, you go, you know, you have to be cognizant of like where we are with O.J. in 2014, you know, 15, 16, about what he has become mm-hmm. as a sort of almost universally reviled character. And, but it's like the narrative of who he once was in some way got erased from 1994 moving forward. And yet the all hell breaking loose aspect of that sort of time would not have existed save for just how seduced we were as a culture by him. First on the football field, then in Hertz commercials, then in these movies, then it's this sort of the beauty on the, on the football field was matched by the beauty of him as a man, mm-hmm. the charm of him as a pitch man. And so without, again, emotionally connecting to those aspects of him, you don't quite understand why this was so shocking and why we were all, why so many people felt duped. Right. Why we're like, no, not this guy. And that sort of speaks, in again, you just need to be put back into that place. Right. Because I think if you just try, if you say it, here was this guy who once was, you don't get it. Yeah. There's a lot of famous athletes, there's a lot of actors, there's a lot of like, this was a, and again, as a black man, as a light-skinned black man, as someone who was, again, put up there symbolically on a certain level that at the time he was, there was an importance to him as a character and that we end up where we end up with him a few decades later in this place that's what makes this such a profound American story. If he were a white guy who had had the same trajectory as a great athlete and as an actor and killed people, ultimately, like, it would have been a huge story. It just wouldn't have been the story that the story of O.J. Simpson in this country became.
0: Because it's know. about the country. Your movie's about the country. The movie's about the yeah, country, yeah. and
1: O.J. is this sort of weird embodiment uh, on so many levels of in terms of who we are.
0: So you got... You got your archives. You've got your interviews. That outline document that you have has really started to be yeah. to be fleshed out. Um, you took a write. You, you said written and directed for this movie. Is that correct?
1: I. I <laughs> you don't read, you I, don't read I, I didn't. It I didn't take a writing credit. Right oh, you right.
0: didn't. Okay. Um, what is? Is there a point at which? Okay, I've got all my stuff. Maybe you're still out for a couple interviews or something. But there's this point at which you've got like the. Oh, yeah, by the way, movie.
1: no, just to say before, I don't mean to interrupt you, yeah, but you know, like, I was interviewing people, like, when we started editing the film, uh-huh. I probably interviewed half the people. Oh, you were still? Like, like there was, like, we were, like, there was a, we have this much time and we have this much to do, yeah. and so there was a constant, There's setup, not a, con, you know, to the, like, we weren't, like, all right, we're almost rap shooting, now let's start editing. Uh-huh. No, we, were, we had disorders, too much going on within this time frame.
0: I guess what I'm really asking is, is that, is there a point in the process, and now I'm starting to think maybe not, where you then sit down, and before you start editing, where you're kind of revisiting this outline, revisiting the structure, I, just, just one example. I, I know you weren't going out for new stuff, but I mean, I imagine the Ron Shipp character supplied you material and emotional richness yeah. that, that you weren't planning on having going in. I'm assuming um, that the archive that existed of the domestic violence of Nicole and how horrifying that footage is. I assume these are new, that was stuff that kind of gave you new wrinkles that you're kind of like, okay, maybe I need Mm -hmm. to, but then do you sit back and kind of go back to that outline and kind of restructure it? Or is this because post is going and you're still doing interviews that it's much more organic and it's not like this sit-back global view of the project
1: uh, yeah it became like this more than anything else because of how long it was and how unwieldy and how again um how much stuff was happening at the same time the document i, I sort of you start a process of after you've been doing interviews and i literally will add to the dice it's, it's if i'm writing a script mm-hmm. and then it's like there's too much going on like this is not going to be just this model like I now have multiple editors, and they're working in different spaces. And I'm going to sort of again entrust them in the same way I've trust Nina with the archive to say this is what we're doing. And I'm going to be vigilant in sort of how we're cutting the movie. But like here is, and I and I, but I sort of go from the outline to just the interviews and use them structurally within this idea of the story, and that becomes more of the operating um, script. I mean, but to your point. Um, yeah, you go out and you do these things and you sort of have a plan. Like, this would have been impossible to do in the time frame in which it was done without sort of a very clear sort of that architecture. Because if you were just like, I don't know what I'm gonna get out of these people, and then you're like trying to piece the story together, I'd be working on it for another 10 years. Right. Um, having said that, and so a lot of it because of also how on the record a lot of this was already certainly around the, the trial. Right. There is some, some work that in some ways was already done and you could actually really focus the, the the questions that you wanted to ask and be answered you know based on this existing material the ron ships yes you have these characters then that i knew i was sitting down with him because this is
0: time of ron ship is the is the uh is the police officer who became friends with um with oj and so he's kind of like this this wonderful character who's kind of coming into, this African-American character who's coming into O.J.'s Brentwood world, becomes a friend, helps out, but then also starts to see some of the horrifying things that are going on and eventually testified against O.J. And so in your movie, it really becomes, he becomes this wonderful lens in and out that maybe you wouldn't have in other ways. And
1: and so essentially, like, let's just say what I know is he was a cop in the LAPD who was friends with O.J. who ultimately testified against him. Yes. To say, just sort of have a gross simplification of probably his role in this film. What, you, what I didn't quite understand is the chronology in terms of, oh, he's a 15-year-old kid when O.J. was at USC. And he, and he was a football player. And he's a black kid in Southern California. OJ's his hero. Right. And O.J., oh, he met O.J. at a banquet. Um, and O.J. name checked him, you know, and it, because O.J. played with his brother in an All-Star game the year before, and oh, and oh, he snuck into that UCLA USC game, which I already know is this defining moment in O.J.'s rise as a football player and as a celebrity. And so he immediately becomes this character that I understand is going to dot the landscape and is another. Just like we're using O.J. Mm-hmm. as a lens through which to tell this greater story about America, I then can use this character to tell this greater story about what O.J. meant because he was this person who idolized this guy and he just wanted to be near him. And so it's like you get the understanding from a personal standpoint of like the idolatry and just the, oh, I just want to be near him, I want to be him. And that sort of is, he's a hanger-on in many ways. Oh, by the way, and he's a cop though. And so you get a sense of like, all right, O.J. has this sort of in with the police. So again, that juxtaposition, what's happening with black residents in South L.A. You know on a daily if not weekly basis what is that di- what is that dynamic like the fear the the distrust all of these things and like oj's chummy with the cops they're hanging out at his house they're playing tennis using his pool like all these things but you just don't get what i didn't know it's like so the specificity the deepness of that connection between ron Shipp and him and so yeah when you get that that's where The personal aspect, that's what you're telling in the story, like you need these ultimately, these films to me, like a film like this, when it's historically driven, you you need to sort of, you have the architecture, you have the case you're trying to make, you're trying to make this narratively satisfying, but you're also curatorially you have archival footage, but like this is being told through the voices of these people who (laughs) live through this history, and live in proximity to this character, and if you can't create really strong Characters, then the film's not going to work, and so you get you know whether it's Ron Ship or Joe Bell, his childhood friend, who does so much work to me as a character, as far as someone who he was one he was like it was Joe Bell, OJ and AC Al Cowling's as kids like they were boys, and so you understand just by his appearance and the way the authoritative way that he's talking about OJ that you understand that oh there's an intimacy that I've now been given based on his appearance in this film. And that he is as honest as he is about O.J. and who he was at that time and going forward, while you can still tell is defensive of him on this macro level, without him as a character, you know, we interviewed 72 people, what would the film be like if there were 71? But take away Joe Bell, it's a different film. Yeah. Take away Ron Ship, it's a different film. And you could probably say that for 10 to 15 people, even though on it, sort of when you think about it in that way, you're like, movies seven hours and 46 minutes long, you're telling me if you took one of these guys away, it would be, well, yeah, I think it would feel different. And yeah. so in that way, it's a very weird sort of thing to think about of how all of these people really play an integral part in the narrative.
0: You were talking about um, different editors and, and kind of sections, and maybe it, it's hard for me, I have not had a chance to sit down and do the eight hour movie experience. Um, I, like I said, experienced it on, on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, And maybe it's just the way that it was split up into episodes. But it does feel to me like there's chapters to this. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the way it was... The the, the ESPN chopped up. But I mean, was that an organizing thing where it's like, okay, I don't need to have like this... And is that almost like these editors are working on different chapters in that this is like... This is a section of it. This is an arc. And so this story is being told over here. This story is being told over here. and, And you're kind of the... The, the person who's gonna make sure that all those come together. Is that is that kind of the, the, the organizational that, thing? That's correct.
1: I mean, essentially there is a, you know, the way I knew, I felt actually, the way I felt this story would benefit the most for a viewer um, emotionally, was there's gonna be a basic chronology that was going to be sort of stuck with. I didn't think that futzing with I'm so you know, greatly in this would aid this process. Not to mention, again, it would take a lot longer to figure out how to do it effectively. But I think living through the history and having this sort of re-engagement with him as a character in this history is necessary to again reframe the events of, of the murder and the trial. Once you have this sort of ballast of like, okay, I've now I I got it. Like or I've lived through this. Um, but to answer your question, I basically, in a very simplistic way, when we edited. We had three editors and two for sort of five, six months where I hired a third. And it was, one was working on everything up to the murder and one was working on everything after the murder. And then the third person I brought on was to work on everything after the trial. Mm-hmm. And then, but now each people now, but Brett Granada, who was responsible for the, the middle part like had his fingerprints on some scenes initially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we were working in rooms next to me. So Maya Mumma, an incredible editor, and she ultimately was tasked with the first three hours. And it was like, again, it was like, so it was like, for a while, it was like a four hour chunk, a four hour chunk, and a two hour chunk. Um, but, you know, structurally within that, you know, understanding that there was already this double helix idea with the sort of two concurrent narratives of OJ's story and this LA police story that was going to be fundamental to how we were telling the story. And so, that was just sort of, mis- and that's where it's necessary to have one person and me being constantly. Um, the idea of splitting the chapters sort of came later. There was a matter of factness of, I think I would have honestly. It's like, oh, I don't think this makes sense to play this in three uneven chunks. Right. And so I, you know, there was a sort of sense of like, how do we create a model where there at least is some. Um, from a times aspect, some uniformity. So it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And like, and and within that thematics, like to sort of have it. So I think that the parts were arrived at towards the end. And so there's a level which if I were playing it, if I just played this thing straight, um, I think the demarcations would have been slightly different. Mm -hmm. But I think that there was a, you know, I think this is the only thing I would say about where the television aspect helped, it sort of, it was like you forced me to force create pushing. something that I wouldn't have created. And so in the end, I'm like, okay, this is fine to exist as a five-part documentary. I would have made it a three-part documentary and someone would have been like, but these three parts don't really, they're a little bit unequal, even though they make sense. Right. Because they're more driven by events versus mm-hmm. sort of um, and so that's sort of how that happened. It was in a weird way like I basically was making this one long thing. Right. And it was that's how it was divided for most of the time, the theatrical um, version of, of the film. That's why it's three parts. There's a right. reason for that. Yeah. Because that's the way it was built. Yeah. In both in my mind and actually. And so that those first two parts envelop two parts that you might watch that you know, uh, if you watched it on Hulu or watched it on ESPN you know, okay. But I frankly would have just like done the same thing and just taken out the parts.
0: Is it something, I mean, it's an enormous undertaking, but is it something you'd like to do again? Is this something, is this a mode of this longer form documentary? Is it something you would?
1: Uh, I I mean, I wouldn't, I would, uh, you know, never say never. Mm -hmm. I will say that this was a particularly immersive um, and exhausting project mm-hmm. and when you realize how many things frankly had to go right mm-hmm. and how much work went into the every sort of micro thing you sort of look back and you go oh, how the fuck did that work out yeah and so that in terms of just how difficult it was and how you know and the, the living with this like in the way you know it would just have to be worth it you know, for me, I guess I've gotten a question before where people say, Oh my God, this is incredible. I bet everyone's asking you, like, this is great. How did you get this much time to do a, you know, s- tell a story? And I'm like, Yeah, but first of all, it's not easy. That's the first thing. Second of all, not every story sort of deserves this treatment. Right. Like, this is like if someone said, Tell eight, you know, you get to do eight hours on OJ. I don't want to watch eight hours on OJ. Right. I want to watch eight hours with this sort of these, these different parts to this story that are some about OJ and some about everything else. But like I'd be bored. And so I think that I, I, I don't know if people are going to be seduced into thinking that well this thing worked and so let's keep doing these different things. I mean I, no, I'm going to, The answer to your question is if something existed in a way that I felt was worthy as a subject for me to take on in this way, sure. It's not what a, I'm looking for now.
0: I guess also though it's this it's this element of like it doesn't have to be something this epic, um, but something where you're able to take something like the story of the OJ, uh, the OJ, the OJ murder, and yeah. and be able to go on these. Ta- it, they're not tangents. To to say they're tangents would be to diminish like the roles, yeah. but to, to use them yeah. as a
1: vehicle to tell. Where that,
0: where the subtext or the tangent actually becomes the text,
1: which becomes the—that's. But, but I think that in turn, but what you got out is sort of to me, that's the discipline in doing this. Like I don't think there, there are any tangents in this, uh-huh. and I think that you have to make sure that whatever I'm putting in quotes, mm-hmm. tangents that exist. Well, it's not a tangent if I put something there, yeah. but it's it's going to be. It's going to be um, sort of um, fleshed out and or you know concluded in some form even if it's, if it's three hours later, or four hours later, or five hours later. But just to throw in these things meaningless would be... And I think that that's sort of part of the... That was the, the difficulty of this. It's like, no, no, that is... That's just... Maspiratory to put this in here because I think it's sort of interesting. Right. Well, if it doesn't have a greater basis to the story that we're telling, it can't exist. But yeah, but that's the... How many thousand-page novels, you know, can you point to and you're like, those were incredible I would like like there aren't that many right that are these and I'm not I'm, I'm not saying this in terms of I'm just there's a reason a hard it's a hard, to it's do, a hard, hard thing, thing to do to but do. also in terms of the material and how you interweave these mm-hmm. things that like I don't know that I will ever come across a subject that exists in this fashion that I by the way have some you know way of seeing from the beginning right. a little bit that gets me engaged because I don't know if that would happen in that way. Maybe this is this classic, maybe this is this unique example of this subject really fits the man and vice versa.
0: L- last question, um, you weren't overly interested in OJ to start off with and you then spend two years inside this, I mean obviously it's not just inside his head but inside his world. And it's a good problem to have, you're a victim of your own success, but I, I imagine there was part of you that in the summer was like ready to, this incredibly immersive experience it airs, O.J.'s In My Rearview Mirror. Mm-hmm. And this thing has become, and it's largely because it, it's really touched upon something and you did a beautiful job, but I mean, this thing, everybody was watching this summer. Mm-hmm. Now, all fall, you're at the Savannah Film Festival, there's, there's a, um, Eight-hour screening of this going on, and and this, these are going on all over New York and LA for Academy voters, and you're, we're still talking about them. Thank you for taking the time to talk about it. But is there's this el- is there's this a little bit of an element of like, I I need to move myself. I, I thought I was done with OJ. I thought I, I
1: I. I feel like I've taken on the metaphor of OJ, you know, always <laughs> running and wanting to escape, and yeah. I'm like, please, <laughs> I just want to be, just let me run away. I mean. Of course, but at the same time, again talking about like the blessing and the curse. Yeah. Come on, I mean, anyone who it's like it's a good problem to have. Yeah. If you are going to, as you are correct, do I want to be talking about OJ? And do I? It's more from the standpoint of like it's also it's not like this is a happy story. Yeah. It's a it's about his it's a dark tale about him and about the country we live in and about us. And so in that way, living with it is not wonderful. But if you are going to spend that much time. If you're going to make, you know, that much of an effort to do something and you're going to do it in a way that you have no idea based on how you decided to try to take this on, based on um, the scope, the scale and on this length, Mm -hmm. I think it's asking a lot for people to watch something. I understand that. Mm -hmm. And so on the other end that people have responded, have been watching, want to talk about it. I mean come on. So no, nothing's better. I mean this 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 sitting here and having this conversation with you right now at the Savannah Film Festival, you know, this is why I would have in a in a actually in a way that I would have never been able to imagine a year ago, this is why I would have wanted to do this. This makes this worthwhile. It makes it think that decision to do this in the first place when I was reluctant to do it, you know, that was the right decision. And so there's something about that. I, there's some grace in that, which I appreciate.
0: And, and I guess I lied, not last question. Yeah. I mean, people have done these deep dives on figures like this before, obviously not in this form, I mean, but authors. and it, The one thing about it is, is that they're often dead. Is there an element for you that you've completely broken down this man's story, you put it in context, and like you said, there's still a void in terms of, you know, him and the biography itself. I mean, is it weird? Is there some part of your mind where this guy's still out there? That that, that 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 this guy
1: exists. Like I'm telling this guy's story, and he's, you know, he's well. At different point, I think this is where um, the constancy of the. Um, The constancy of the uh, amount of things that I had to sort of think about or deal with on a daily basis in trying to get this done Mm -hmm. relieved me from the burden of focusing on this person still being a flesh, living, you know, breathing person in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, it is very different. You know, there's, I don't, you know, whatever the one step is between life and being incarcerated and being dead, being in jail um, is, You know, for as far as a character, I mean, that's for me personally, it's a little freeing. OJ's not picking up the phone and calling me. Um, I don't know that he would anyway. I don't know that he's seen it. I don't know that, like, and I don't know when, if, and when he's ever going to get out. You know, he's up for parole next year. It's not something I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. But the fact is, I think that if he weren't in jail, I can guarantee you this film couldn't have been done in the same way. I think that even people. The few people that do know him well probably would have been more reluctant to talk.
0: That, that OJ charm and that OJ I, yeah, I, I just definitely I, I, stopped a lot of your I think it, I think
1: more so than me being like, what's it like to deal with a guy who still is living in the world? I think it would have it would have sort of weighed upon few people in the film much, even if they don't talk to him anymore. Mm-hmm. Just being like, I don't know, if, I don't know that I want to go there. I think there's the sense that he is in jail and he's in jail in the middle of the desert in a, in Nevada. And like he's kind of he's off the map, and so I think that Ale- I think that Elisa gave us some space to create this in a way that wouldn't have been able to be created. As far as me, yeah, it's a little weird, um, and uh, but in some ways I treat it as as if he's kind of not around because he's not.
0: <laughs> Ezra Edelman, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thanks, Chris. Can I know in the press and Academy voters are, are seeing this? Is there a way for people to have? the movie experience that some of us are getting like I mean I mean
1: the answer is I mean weirdly it's been we've been playing it I mean this is in terms of where you live it's 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 been screening in New York at the Metrograph it's been screening in LA at sort of theaters here and there over the past you know couple months it's been screening in Alamo draft houses across the country oh really I didn't know that okay and so where yes it's not built frankly for a movie theater to just play it for eight hours as, like a, as a tough, running. yeah and so for me there is ways and i think it's wonderful that this has happened in this way after we had a theatrical run in may and it was just in in la and new york that we've really sort of been able to put it in places where if people want that experience they can they can find it yeah. you know if not it's like and by the way in the end i want people to watch it that way i think anything benefit is benefit you anything is benefited by watching it on the big screen, and this is no different. Um, having said that, I understand that there are demands on everyone's time, and so in the end, if you watch it in parts on a TV, like, okay, just watch it, So, <laughs>
0: All right, well, thanks again.
1: Thank you.